Welcome to part one of the 56th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we discuss murders that intrigue us. I'm Mercedes. And I am Cindy. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where we discussed John Lenny Frazier, the prophet killer, who be- believed that he was on a mission for God. Our show is often horrifying and graphic, and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, we're passionate and always have been about true crime, but we must warn you, Sometimes we'll make jokes and laughter in our podcast. Want to learn more about us? Please visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com to find links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. If you like what you hear and you'd like to help us, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a five-star rating along with a comment. Also, please recommend our podcast to your friends and family. The more the merrier. Hey, Cindy. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Tired from like the holiday and going back to work after time off and you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me yeah. too. Super excited about Christmas though. I'm super <laughs> excited about Christmas. Me too. And my I'm, um oh sorry. My son got to jo- got to start his Christmas break today. Oh, yes. Courtesy of contact tracing in the schools with COVID. Yay. But he's not sick. No, he just in front of a kid who tested positive. So he gets to stay home for two weeks and do online. Wow. Because that's successful. (laughs) Well, hopefully uh, he'll surprise you. Yeah, he's the smart one. Well, good. A lot of kids probably wish they could do that, but at least he's not sick. That's for sure. No, definitely not. Definitely not. And guess what? Guess what's back by popular demand come Saturday. What? Bleach your ass. Oh, well, okay. Well, hopefully they'll, they'll have a nice long season. Oh, I hope so. This tournament actually was a two day tournament in a different town and it got canceled, moved to our town. And now it's just a one day tournament. Went from like 20 teams to 10. (sighs) Okay. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started. I think because it's so late and I'm tired. Okay. So I want to tell you a little bit of backstory about how I found this one because I decided I wanted to do one in Utah. We haven't done Utah yet. And I'm like, oh man, let's see if I can find a a murder, you know, guy who was accused of murder and got acquitted. And so I found that. I found it. um, There was one that occurred in Clear Creek, Utah in 1986. So a lot of the information I got from newspapers, newspaper articles, and then I Googled his name and came up with things that were recent in time. So this is a two-parter. Ooh, okay. All right. So are you ready? I am ready. So I'm going to start uh, with Becky Ray Galt. Becky, I didn't find much about her when she was young, but what I do know is that when she was 23, she got married to Thomas William Randolph Jr. in April of 1983 in Clear Creek, Utah. Okay. She was young and beautiful. She was hardworking. She worked at a job for 11 years. 11 you know, years at 23? She started from, she worked there until 1986. So there are 11 years. And she started like when she was 18 or something, 16. Okay. Anyway. So her husband, Tom, he worked as a researcher and investigator for the Public Defenders Association. So I'm guessing public defenders, they they can pay him to go investigate stuff. I don't know exactly what that job, that job sounds interesting to me. I don't know what he did or there or how long he actually worked there because he had loftier goals. See, his dream was to be a cocaine kingpin. No. 
any word for the public defenders association? Okay, right, yeah. Well, you know, you come into, you meet a lot of bad guys. Yeah, maybe he was like, right? this is the way to get in. Yeah, and plus, it's 1983, and Scarface is out. Well, and Remember the movie Scarface, Al Pacino? Yeah. This was his dream. He aspired to be in the cocaine world. And by 1986, he and, and Becky were cocaine addicts they were addicted to cocaine they were addicts their marriage was falling apart they rapidly spiraled into financial distress i mean their power had been turned off for like seven or eight months they weren't paying bills she had lost her job he wasn't really working much and things were bad becky yeah she actually had gotten in trouble for passing worthless check Mm. recently lost her job it was coming you know her addiction caused her to lose her job that she had after 11 years wow yeah yeah she also got a dui you know all these things are happening around the same time the court orders her to report to a county mental health service her rehab okay she's kind of like in a out I think she was in a, an inpatient. I'm not, I don't know that much about it, uh-huh. but she was getting treatment that was court ordered with a licensed therapist. Okay. Because she wanted to get clean. She had a hopes and dreams to straighten up and get away from Tom. She wanted to leave her husband because his lifestyle wouldn't allow her to live a normal life. Mm-hmm. So it was a huge surprise to everyone because she was just talking about, you know, the hope and everything when she brought her life to an end on November 7th, 1986. Oh, no. Apparently, she had got into bed, tucked herself in comfortably, and shot herself in the head as she lay on the pillow. That's awful. I, I know. So her husband came home and found her. Her death was later deemed a suicide, and he got a bunch of money for life insurance after she died, or at least he thought he was. Wow. So she got into bed and just killed herself. That's what's reported. Okay. Okay. All right. So here's what I could gather. On November 7th, 1986, the Clearfield police got a call from Thomas William Randolph Jr. urging them to come right away. His, he just got home and his wife is dead. When police got there, they were greeted at the door by Randolph and his dad, who of course is the senior. They told police that they had just gotten home. They just, they walked into the master bedroom and there's Becky, she's dead. Damn. Police realize there's no power on in this house, all right? It's November in Utah Jeez, it and it's cold. Yeah. And there's no power on in the house. Mm, okay. So he they go to the master bedroom and there they find Becky Rigalt Randolph. She's tightly tucked in. She had a gunshot wound to her right temple and she was holding a gun, which was partially tucked under the covers because she was under the covers. So the gun was like this, partially undercover. Okay. That's what the police are thinking. Her husband told the police that his wife was a drug addict and she had been suicidal for some time, that she had even attempted suicide just a few months earlier this past summer. He told police that that night, or that day, earlier that day they'd gotten into, or he had had some words with her because she pissed him off somehow and he ended up getting furious and storming out of the house and just leaving her there all alone in this house with no power she has no vehicle she doesn't have a license you know she has nowhere to go feeling helpless well yeah and he told police that he'd gone out drinking and the police are like okay well all right then what else and he's like well i left the bar and then i got pulled over for drunk driving and taken to jail so he said that his dad picked him up from jail and they just gotten back to the house so he has an alibi 
alibi. Yep. Okay. So police had their doubts that Randolph was telling the truth. Just the evidence was not matching up. And it sure was convenient that he had a pretty much rock solid alibi. Detectives, however, could obviously see that Becky's body had been staged. And Randolph said, well, I didn't touch her. You know, I saw her and I called you immediately. Detectives also noticed that the trajectory of the wound didn't seem consistent with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. So they're just, you know, they're looking at the crime scene and photos and they're like, you know, this is not adding up to his story. And then they're like, well, what about the bullet that killed Becky? Where's the slug from the semi-automatic pistol that was used to kill her? So there were just a lot of questions that didn't add up to the story because she obviously had not been shot where she was. Okay. Or how like, they so, started. oh, okay. So mm-hmm. she was shot in the bed, just probably not by her, by her own. Right. Uh, like police were like, you know, this is kind of shady. So we're going to test your hands for GSR and they do tests were not consistent so they failed to show any proof either way okay but I could not find whether they tested her hands at all or his dad's hands okay we think that they would test her hands and it would be reported but I could not find that anywhere yeah I mean I, I would think that that would be kind of um team yeah standard they would do that investigators believe that Randolph was somehow involved in Becky's death there were just too many unanswered you know unanswered questions but they didn't have evidence to I guess charge him with anything okay have they didn't have evidence disproving that she killed herself but they didn't have evidence proving that she he didn't do it either okay they talked to some of Becky's friends and family and they said yeah she's not even suicidal you know she she would never have done that they insisted that he killed her that he was abusive and that even Becky had said that she was afraid of him and thought and she feared for her her life really yes the investigators at this point knew that he might have something to do with it he had a motive for killing her for financial gain i mean he was paid out around three hundred fifty thousand dollars or more i found so many different amounts that he got paid like some of them said two hundred fifty thousand others said over five hundred thousand so i might say different numbers each time just because okay from the source that I found it. Okay. Anyway, he got a lot of money from her dying. They also knew that he had allegedly paid off the premium on her life insurance policy a month before she died. He's not paying his power bill. He's not paying his other bills. They have no money. They don't have any food. Yet he is able to pay off the life insurance policy or premium yeah. hmm. all right so they kind of know but they have no nothing to nothing no evidence to really stand on enough to where they think it's worth taking it to trial they finally got a break though a little more than a year after her death a guy named eric tarantino called the clearwater creek investigators and told them a story and i actually looked it up to see if he was related to quentin tarantino and okay. i could not find any any evidence that they're related at all With Eric Tarantino's testimony, the prosecution had a star witness. This was something that they could take to court, the information that he gave them. It was something that they thought, you know, well, maybe we can, we have a chance, we have evidence now. So on January 11th, 1989, a little over two years after Becky's death, Randolph was finally charged in her murder. And he was also charged for uh, murder for financial gain. One newspaper reported that Galt's body, that her body was found tucked in a waterbed inside the couple's Utah home with a bullet to the right side of her head. And her, a coroner ruled that her death was by suicide, but prosecutors said, no, it, the way it was positioned in her right hand, it was unusual for a self-inflicted gunshot. And 
Randolph did it for $530,000. See, that's another. Right. So are they thinking that he killed her before? I mean, didn't they determine like determine time of death? They knew that it was in that time period, but the temperature in the house, like yeah, time of death, way, right? It, yeah. yeah. He played oh, innocent okay. charges of first degree murder and making a fraudulent insurance claim in connection with Becky's death. Now, ironically, he did hire some attorneys that he used to do investigations and research for back when he worked at the public defender's office. Okay. So that was kind of an interesting little tidbit there. Yeah. I mean, I imagine so. I mean, he has some connections. Yeah, he did. And he had connections like in the underworld too. But yeah. you know, I think he was kind of like more in his head than he was in the real world, you know, like he's a wannabe. He wanted to be a kingpin, but he was just a, a low life drug dealer. He you was know, a low drug level drug dealer. All right. So the prosecution sought the death penalty for, for Randolph. In his opening statement, the the county attorney, Mel Wilson, told the jury that the case comes down to one issue and one issue only. Who shot Becky Randolph? Was it Becky Randolph or Tom Randolph? He's trying to say that Tom shot her. She didn't commit suicide. Wilson said, told the jury that the evidence would prove that Tom Robinson shot Tom Robinson. <laughs> Do you know who Tom Robinson is? <laughs> I, I knew I was going to say that. Tom Robinson is a character in To Kill a Mockingbird. In To Kill a Mockingbird, yeah. yeah he was the African American. He was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm so sorry. Okay. Uh -oh. I love Tom Robinson. I'm All so right. sorry. Anyway. <laughs> okay. So he's saying that Tom Randolph shot his wife in the head, making it look like a suicide to collect more than the $250,000 in insurance benefits. He also began calling witnesses to testify on opening day. He called the director of the Utah Crime Lab at the time, James Gaskell, who testified that Becky Ray's body was found in an unheated waterbed in the master bedroom. Ooh. Yeah. Have you ever slept on yes. a cold-ass waterbed? But not in Utah in November with no heat. No. I had, you know, like the old school waterbed where it's like just a yeah. flotational device, basically. And my brother little fucker hi mom used to come in and he would turn off the heater to the waterbed to like get at me or he'd poke holes in the waterbed with a with a straight pin but when that heater isn't working that water gets cold and it gets yeah. cold fast i mean yeah. freezing ass cold water i can't even imagine yeah but in the winter in utah yeah but she didn't feel it because no but it probably preserved her body. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. That also kind of influenced the time of death. Like how do they, they knew it was like within a, a window, but her body was colder than a normal. And what state. time of year was this again? In November. In November Utah. in Utah. Yeah. So anyway, the prosecution continued to, and McGaskill also testified that they found her shot once in the head with a handgun. And he said that crime scene photos show that the body was not in the same position when it was found as it was when the shooting take took place so he could see that by evidence that the body had been moved to a different position oh so okay moved it was different. staged okay it was staged obviously he also said that the photo showed bed covers tucked in and around the body and part of the hand mm -hmm. which was holding the gun under the covers so how does she tuck her hand and tightly tuck it back yeah. in yeah you know, yeah it didn't she, jump yeah. under the right Okay, so November weather in 
clear field, like right now, this minute, it's 30 degrees in clear it's field. It's really not that much colder or warmer here. I know. What kind of hell is that? Yeah, so it's 30 degrees there right now. And it's freaking 48 degrees here. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He said, you know, that it would be very unlikely for anyone who just shot herself in the right temple to be found like she was found. Okay. The defendant then questioned Gaskell to the effect that you talked to the defendant. Did he later tell you that, oh, yeah, I did move the body? So he said that he wanted to take, he finally, after he told the cops that he didn't touch her at all, then he realized, oh, okay. Yeah. I better tell them that I did touch her. So he said, well, I try, you know, I did try to make her feel a little more comfortable. And then he said, you know, then I try to take the gun away from her. According to things that I read, it didn't show that he had really tried to take it away. No, I'm sure he didn't. Okay. Some of Becky's relatives and friends also testified and so did her substance abuse counselor. Okay. They said that she had planned to leave, that Becky had planned to leave her husband and move back to her family home. And none of them believed that she had shot herself. Her cousin, Delia, testified that Becky was afraid of pain and would not have disfigured herself in such a way. You know, I think I've read before that women's, you know, their choice of suicide is rarely a gunshot to the head. Mm -hmm. It's usually like they poison themselves or put, or like take pills. Right. I mean, I've heard of some hangings and some like, okay, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I can't. This is so depressing. Oh, sorry. I can't. We have to talk about it. I know. All right. Let's see. Her aunt testified that the utilities had been shut off on the house for four to five months because of the cu couple's financial problems. Mm -hmm. And she testified that her niece, who didn't like cold, dark places, would never have crawled into an unheated waterbed in a dark, cold house in November. Mm -mm. Why was she even staying there? I I don't know. It came, like, I did read in one article something about she didn't have a ride. She didn't have a car. She didn't have a license. So she was kind of, like, stranded where she was. I don't know if they, you know, nobody had cell phones then. Like, Yeah. There was no Uber. I'm guessing they didn't have power. If they didn't have power, they probably didn't have a phone. Jeez. Now, her substance abuse counselor also mm -hmm. testified she testified that she had talked with Becky the day before they had an appointment the day before her death. Mm -hmm. And she was shocked by the story of her suicide. She, she found it almost impossible to believe. She testified that Becky had turned her life around that although she had an occasional cocaine relapse every now and then in general, she was putting her life back together. Okay. She wanted to stay off drugs and she was taking control of her life. The counselor said that Becky had made up her mind to leave Tom, who was the one supplying her with cocaine. Right. Layton also testified that Tom Randolph tried to impede his wife's counseling by not providing her transportation to her sessions. And then he would ridicule her for, you know, taking part in rehab and doing her best in it. Yeah, in addition, true. yeah, in addition, he was phys physically and mentally abusive to her and he supplied her with drugs. Layton also told, told the court that after his wife's death, Randolph telephoned and threatened her, telling her that people like you will get what's coming to them. I wonder how fast he went through that money. I bet it went up his nose. Oh, but remember, this is a two-parter. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. So we're going to get to that. This is a two-parter. That was a good question. Don't forget it next, next week. 
So one of his defense attorneys was a guy named Bernie Allen, and he painted, painted a much bleaker picture of Becky Randolph's last few months during, starting from the summer of 1986. He had uh, witnesses testify that she was suffering from depression, drug and alcohol abuse. She had lost her job of 11 years. Her marriage was troubled. And the defense brought up a number of other depressing, all these depressing incidents that happened within a short period of time, a DUI conviction where she lost her license. She was turned down for unemployment benefits. She feared criminal prosecution for writing bad checks. She was depressed. She might've tried to commit suicide once before that summer. And the defense told the jury that Becky had talked about it numerous times with friends and relatives before she finally did it. But friends and family disagree with that. They testify, no, she wasn't like that. I mean, just because the friends and family don't believe that she was suicidal does not mean that something didn't happen that day that pushed her over the edge. I mean, that is... So are you looking at it through the eyes of a jury right now? No, I think I'm just looking at it through like a third... I mean, I guess I could. I mean, um, I'm looking at it, someone from the outside. You know, okay. I mean, someone who, it, you know, so what the defense is bringing forward, that could definitely be what they are saying could definitely, yeah, because depressed and her family and friends just didn't know it. Yeah. And because if you know, if you've been around depression, you know, you're thinking, I mean, you don't know, people fake it. They really do. Depression manifests in all different kinds of ways. You don't know. I mean, and usually the people who are out spouting about, I'm going to kill myself, aren't the ones who generally kill themselves. You know, I worked at a place one time where there had been a lady there who she'd gone through a divorce and she seemed kind of depressed, but not too bad, just kind of ho-hum type person. And then one day she was super happy and like very upbeat and and everyone kind of noticed that she was in a great mood and doing very well. And she went home that night and killed herself. It's like she had made up her mind and all of her troubles we're gone and she, you know, and, and like, she didn't come to work the next day. And the boss at the place where she worked, like went to her house and was like banging on the door. He didn't go in, but he called the police and her son who went in and found her. Yeah. So, I mean, you just can't, you want to say that person would never do that, but you just never know. And that's, that's me just playing devil's advocate for that. Okay. Prosecution, they wanted to make sure the jury knew that Becky was not. The prosecution made sure to let the jury know that Becky was not alone in the DUI category. They brought forth testimony that showed that Randall himself had gotten a DUI the very day of Becky's death. And they are saying that he did it on purpose just to stage his alibi. I did say that. They're saying that, you know, he shot her first, then he went out. And intentionally made sure that he was drunk and drove erratically so that he would get arrested and go to jail. Well, who's to say that? I mean, what did he do? Drive around looking for a police officer? Because, you know, whenever you want a police you officer. Know, and around. who knows? I mean, I don't know which day it was, but, you know, cops, who knows? I don't know. Like, I'm Maybe saying that's he just knew what, what they were going to be. This is what the prosecution brought forth. I don't know what anybody was Well, thinking. I mean, like, we have a place here. Well, you know, on Friday and Saturday nights, the cops are always kind of hanging out there because, yeah. you know, popular bar when maybe so they're like yeah so definitely a possibility the defense quickly pointed out what the initial cause of death that the initial cause of death was suicide the defense is like why are we even here coroner said this was suicide 
Okay. So, you know, they're like, you know, why are you even doubting what the coroner would say? You know, he's an intelligent, educated person. Mm -hmm. They said that it was irrelevant that Randolph had been in jail when his wife was dead, when his wife died. And then the prosecution ended up calling their star, their state star witness, which I'm going to tell you about after a very brief message from this week's sponsor. Okay. Thank you. Hey, everybody. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about this week's sponsor, Best Fiends. As you all know, researching criminal cases is my passion, but even I need an occasional break. So when I feel like I need to escape to a simpler world, I always turn to the mobile puzzle game, Best Fiends. If you haven't heard, Best Fiends is a puzzle game that you can play right on your phone. Each level has challenging puzzles that you have to solve, and they actually engage your brain. No worries at all, because this is a casual, relaxing game that anyone can play, and it's really, really fun. See, Best Fiends are these adorable little characters who are tasked with saving Minutia from the slugs who are rampaging across the land, rounding up Best Fiend families and glooping up the countryside. This is a vibrant and creative world with almost 40 unique fiends in the Best Fiends worlds. Even better, new fiends are added all the time. My goal is to collect them all, so I always check the newest additions to the family. This week, let me tell you about BAM. BAM is an adorably furry, or should I say hairy, caterpillar who lives in Strawberry Field. BAM used to really lack self-confidence, you know, because he was so hairy. But now, he wears his hair with pride, and he shares his sharp hairdressing skills with all the best fiends in Minutia. He's their hairdresser. I love finding a new favorite character to spotlight each month. Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events, so it never gets old. So, true crime-loving listeners, join us and the millions of others who love this app. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Eric Tarantino, the star witness, was living in California when he heard the news about the death of Becky, Becky Ray. He testified that he immediately contacted police when he heard that she had been killed because he knew that her death was murder, not suicide. Hmm. How did and he how did he know this? Yeah. Well, he knew this because Randolph had offered to pay him $10,000 to kill her. According to Tarantino, the two had met in a jail cell where they discussed the murder for hire. I don't know why each of them was in jail or anything. I couldn't find any online records going that far back. Mm -hmm. But what I do know is that Tarantino testified that he and Randolph had been close friends and hung out together all the time after that. So I'm guessing that when they got out, they hooked up or whatever. According to Tarantino, Tom wanted his wife dead so that he could collect on a life insurance policy and use the cash to build a cocaine empire. Tarantino testified that while he and Tom would hang out and drink and get high, they would just brainstorm various ways to kill her and dispose of her body. God, I really hope, because, you know, I, I really hope my husband's not, like, chatting it up with his buddies, like, hey, Joey. It's not a normal conversation with other people, is it? I mean, it's I haven't had a conversation with you how I could kill my husband. I don't think you really have not anywhere where I thought, Oh my God. Yeah. I'm going to go hang out with her. She's going to pay me $10,000. No. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard you say anything like that. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, that's not like, 
normal conversation. <laughs> I was so like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm like, it's not like I'd be like, hey, Holly, you want to earn some money? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I don't know. It's just like not. Right. No. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, when you don't want your husband to think about things like that either. I mean, I guess you got to be really choosy with who you have those conversations with, but yeah. I don't know. All right. So he wasn't choosy, obviously. It was his jailhouse, you know, his jailhouse mate. Tarantino testified that they even, when they got high, they were discussing that. Then they started practicing scenarios, talking through, you know, how's this one going to work? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, we they would discuss whether it was, you know, hard enough to they talked, about, yeah, they talked about, you know, accidental overdoses, a drowning in the tub, slipping and falling in the tub and busting your head open, okay, traumatic so fall outside, setting accidental fires. Why was he wanting a burglary? Yeah, I'm going to keep going. An accidental discharge of a firearm. They talked about suicide and they talked like, about. Yeah, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they would even act it out. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, role playing? Yeah, role playing. That was a word I was thinking of earlier. I'm like, what the fuck is that called? Sorry, so, Molly. Okay. What was their reasoning for wanting to? Ha- what was his reason? Like, just to get her out of the way, or was it just purely financial? Hey, I need yeah. some money so I can sh- snort some more cocaine. I mean, or we're going to my- talk about a little bit more about his um, mental health next okay. in part two. Oh, okay. Because okay. I think it was. Honestly, well, I know what it is, but I was going to kind of keep that as a surprise for next week. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He's not right. You're noticing all these things that normal people don't think, right? Yeah. And I'm not normal. So. (laughs) All right. At one point, Tarantino and Tom had a falling out and Tarantino threatened to tell Becky that Tom planned to kill her. Oh, well, you definitely don't want that. Right. And at this point, Randolph was enraged. He can't handle his anger very well. And he beat Tarantino severely enough to put him in the hospital with critical injuries. Like this guy almost died. When he got out, he got the hell out of Utah. He moved to California as soon as he could physically do so because he was scared of this guy. This guy acted like, you know, the, the Al Pacino character in Scarface. Like, you know, he was clearly, um, inspired by that. Yeah. Say hello to my little friends. (laughs) He further testified that uh, the two of them practiced several ways to make her death look accidental. I already said that. And then he told the court that when he left Utah for California, Becky Ray Galt Randolph was still alive. He also told police that Randolph started singing his favorite song and it was called Foolish Behavior by Rod Stewart. Okay. All right. And apparently, I've never heard the song until just since I played it. I wish I could play it now, but um, I don't have Rod's permission. (laughs) No, I can't. But I suggest you take a listen to it. It's called Foolish Behavior. This song is totally about murdering your wife. Okay. Here are some of the lyrics. Is that really what it was about? Or here are some of the lyrics. I'm going to let you decide, okay? Okay. And I am not going to sing it. Like, introduce myself. I'm a man of panache and wealth, sound in mind, body, soul, and health. Why I want to kill my wife? I have this urge to take her life. Been planning for years to get rid of her. Not divorce. I really do mean to kill her. She's so full of rest, useless information and trivia. 
that's why I want to kill my wife. I have a duty to take her life. <laughs> yes. Mm. You're laughing. Like, I'm laughing because I'm like, oh my God, it's me. You have <laughs> got to listen to the song, okay? And um, I'm skipping a few of the lyrics here. Um, the chorus says, he'll skate down into Mexico, sell the house and find a nice young girl. He'll laugh and sing and he won't work anymore. And then another, uh, another stanza says, should I string her up or strangle her in bed? Suffocate that little venomous head. Or perhaps I'll just whip her to death. Listen, do me a favor, kill my wife. Do it for mankind, take her life. Or should I act cold and deliberate or maybe blow out her brains with a bullet? Think Holy shit. They won't know who done it. I'll kill my wife. I'm really going to take your life. So I cannot believe that Rod Stewart. Produced- I can't believe this dude did this. And this was his theme song. Like oh. He probably heard the song in the background. He's like, getting away with we probably it. had it playing i'm sure in the courtroom they did wouldn't that be something they played this in the courtroom this is a like a lifetime courtroom drama lifetime tv movie right here it might be i mean i'm telling you i never heard of this and then i noticed that a few i have watched a few documentaries on him oh really a few people have done it but kind of just like kept repeating the same information showing the same pictures I dug deeper and got more information on my own. Tarantino testified that he did discuss the plan with Randolph and they did enact various death scenarios, um, but he claimed that he never really intended to go through the plans. Instead, he was just humoring Randolph in order to keep his access to cocaine. The defense presented testimony that Randolph beat Tarantino to a pulp, not because he was going to warn Becky of her murder, but rather because Randolph was angry because he thought Tarantino had slept with his wife. Oh, well, that'll do it. Yeah. So the case rested at this point, And despite Tarantino's testimony and all the other evidence, they acquitted him of first degree murder and the shooting death of his wife, Becky Ray Randolph. Damn. He was also acquitted again of, of, of course, on the related charge of filing a fraudulent insurance claim. The jury deliberated about four and a half hours before they returned the verdict. The packed pl- courtroom was silent, and then as soon as the verdict was read, the Randolph side kind of breathed. They did a breath of relief, and then the Galt side broke into tears. Oh. Becky Ray's mom, Martha DeGraw, had something to say. She did talk to the press after the ruling. She said, following his acquittal, that she thought it was very unfair and unjust. unjust. He's guilty, and he's just going to kill someone else's daughter, so beware. Please keep that sentence in mind. Oh, boy. Okay. She said that he had killed her daughter, Becky, and he staged it to look like a suicide, all for financial gain. The prosecution was unable to convince jurors of that, and Randolph was found not guilty. Yeah, I mean, the the burden's on the state. Right. And Randolph basked in the glory of his win. I mean, he's a smug winner, you know. He's got to make sure, you know, he won. Mm -hmm. And he said, I just need to thank the juror for being so attentive. The prosecution was unable to convince the jury of his guilt, but perhaps the jury would have found him guilty if they had been told about Mr. Randolph's shenanigans behind the scenes while the trial was going on. Mm-hmm. See, because he tried his damnedest to make sure that Mr. Tarantino never testified. Huh. So can you guess what happened? No. 
What happened is while he was in jail, he met a jailhouse informant and tried to hire a hitman to kill Eric Tarantino. No shit. To keep him from testifying. Oh my word. So with this information, a judge um, had him arrested. So less than a month after his acquittal for murder and insurance fraud and the death of his wife, Randolph, along with his new girlfriend, was arrested again. Oh, his new girlfriend. He was arrested again. So he just got... Um, he just got off for murdering his wife. He, that was, he was found innocent. But the new counts against him and his girl charged that between 1988 and January 1989, they conspired to commit murder, which is a first-degree felony, yes. conspired to distribute cocaine, which is a second-degree felony, uh-huh. and conspired to tamper with a witness, which is a Class A misdemeanor. Police said that Randolph paid for a hit against the state star witness his dear old friend eric tarantino okay. he was arrested and had a bail hearing january 11th 1989 uh-huh. at the bail hearing a west valley undercover detective that was assigned to the salt lake metro narcotics strike force testified that one of his informants who was in the davis jail had become acquainted with randolph after christmas okay. the informant told the jailers that randolph wanted the key witness against him eric tarantino who now lived in California, he wanted, them, he wanted him killed. The detective described how he and the informant were te- temporarily released from, a, from jail and set up in a Salt Lake City motel room to make phone calls to and from the jail to Randolph. Okay. The detective testified that arrangements for Wendy Moore, who was uh-huh. Randolph's girlfriend, to deliver $2,000 in cash and the title to one of Randolph's vehicles when they closed the deal outside of a convenience store, they arrested her. She was arraigned on conspiracy to commit murder. Both were charged with conspiracy to buy cocaine. Tarantino also testified at the bond hearing, which probably really pissed Randall off. He wow. said that Randolph was out to get Tarantino and had already beaten the shit out of him badly and was been in the hospital for days with life-threatening injuries. So he's like worried. He needs to be in jail. Yeah. Uh, the defense brought up um, the defense brought to like Tarantino's credibility. You know, he's a drug user. He's a hired hitman. And another witness, Joni Olson, testified that Randolph told her that if he ever goes to prison for his wife's death, Tarantino was a dead man. With this information, a judge denied Randolph bail at his bail hearing because he's a danger to a court witness, Eric Tarantino. But the jury in his trial never heard any of this that was going on. Okay. The defense attorneys argue that the case was more entrapment than witness tampering. A jail informant had been promised freedom in return for his cooperation when he was planted in Randolph's cell. Rather than go through another long trial, the prosecution offered a plea deal and Randolph took it. He pled guilty to witness tampering, a third-degree felony, in exchange for the state dropping his charges of conspiracy to commit murder and drug distribution, and the charges against his girlfriend were dropped. He was sentenced to five, zero to five years of the mandatory sentence of 60 months. However, he's like, that's not fair. Um, they entrapped me and the, pl- the police tried to frame me. And the judge agreed and he only served three years before he got his record expunged. Expunged? Yeah. Oh, wow. So he really you know, He's like, none of this is fair. None of this was my fault. I was trying to protect myself. Randolph was so enraged by all, all the trouble that he'd been through that he decided he's going to sue. How dare anyone question his integrity? 
So in February 1990, yeah, he filed a federal suit seeking compensatory and punitive damages on the claim that officials responsible for his arrest, prosecution, sentencing, and pre-sentence report had been grossly negligent in carrying out their duties. He claimed that he was unfairly prosecuted in the shooting death of his wife. He sued for millions, he only ended $2,500. So the only reason he got $2,500 was because it was cheaper for the city to pay him that than it was for them to go to trial. Court. Right? Clearfield City Manager Jack Bippis said the $2,500 settlement was to stop a nuisance lawsuit. Wow. So that's where I'm leaving it. Um, I'm leaving Mr. Randall this week because the story is not over as I keep hinting to. Yes. I'm going to tell you more about him next week in part two of this episode. I and I'm wait. really, I'm going to try to definitely edit out all of my stutters. But if I leave some in there, I apologize. We are human. I'm thrilled to be here. Me too. Me okay. too. All right. Well, thank you, Mercedes, so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Uh, we appreciate sharing our passion with you and we thank you for your support if you'd like to support us even further please consider subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star rating and a comment your subscription and ratings are essential to our success you can do this by joining us on your favorite platform uh, and for more information and links to our facebook instagram and twitter pages visit our website at it wasn't me true we are so grateful to spend our time together to share murderous stories Thank you so much for your support. Please recommend It Wasn't Me to your true crime-loving friends and family. Also, thanks to you, our Patreon supporters. You are the extra. Yes. You can become one of our beloved Patreons, patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash It Wasn't Me pod. Thanks again, guys. And remember, It Wasn't, it wasn't Me. me.